0: Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. Today, as usual, we will be fielding questions about meditation practice and Buddhism as an opportunity for people interested in, in practicing this tradition to clear up their doubts, learn new things, uh, correct any bad meditative habits they might have developed, and just overall learn more about the Dhamma. So to start, as usual, we will have a
1: 15-minute preface meditation. Gives us time to collect questions, gives people time to ask
0: questions. So if you have questions, you're welcome at any time to start posting them in the chat. And once you've done that, then while well, we have 15 minutes to clear our minds, clear our vision, and to settle into focus on What's truly important to see clearly, to let go, and to find freedom from suffering. So I'll be back at quarter after the hour to start with the answering of questions. okay we're back so from here on we'd ask that chat be limited to questions only
1: if you have questions just post them in the chat if you don't have questions just
0: close your eyes back to meditation there's no video feed purposefully because we're not focused on things external to ourselves try and focus on your own experiences thank you bante we do have questions i want to meditate and have been following the initial
2: precepts of buddhism yet i have a deep aversion to starting meditation days go by thinking about it but never starting how can i change
1: the easiest way to change is to have some accountability it's just a psychological trick that i mean there's more to it but one of the big benefits of having a teacher is this psychological uh, accountability so sign up for a meditation course we have an at-home course that you can undertake Uh, we also have intensive courses if you really want to jump in Uh, But more practically, noting aversion is a valid meditation practice. So aversion isn't a um, complete block or, or obstacle for meditation because you can just take the aversion as an object. So you'd sit and say disliking or aversion. And just note that once it's gone, then you'll find it easier to start. But, but certainly the easiest way is to actually
0: have some accountability, some connection with a teacher, doing a meditation course. I recently practiced metta during meditation to all of my friends and family,
2: alive and deceased. Shortly after I experienced a deep bliss,
0: I tried to think of defilements, but couldn't. What was this? It's bliss. It's an experience.
1: It's impermanent suffering and non self. Uh, It's important in mindfulness not to try to find meaning in things. They are what they are. So bliss is bliss. You just say happy, happy. If you like it, you might say liking. There may be aspects to it that you're not noticing, like the liking. Uh, Trying to think of defilements, that's not really proper practice either. just note what is there, feel happy. And if there's liking, just note that it's impermanent. It comes and goes. It won't last forever. It doesn't have that capacity. So you note it when it's there and see that it arises and ceases. And as a result, you become fam- more familiar with the impermanent nature of reality and see that it's suffering, meaning it's it's not, not suffering. It's not happiness. It's not true happiness because it's impermanent.
0: It's not satisfying, and you can't control it I broke a precept. Is this a deterrent to my meditation practice?
2: How long should I wait to restart my practice? Yeah, you shouldn't wait. you break the
1: precept. you just a good practical exercise is just to make a determination to keep it again. Um yeah, don't wait a bigger deterrent usually in these in this sort of case is the the worry and the fear and the guilt about it it's actually a bigger deterrent um than than actually breaking the precept precepts it's not magic there's a reason for breaking it and it has to be an unwholesome reason so i mean if it was killing a human being well that's probably a hard one to overcome and meditation is going to be hard in that case but in most cases Just a minor breach of the precepts, like having a glass
0: of wine or something like that is, uh, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Usually the end of
1: your potential as a human being is, is the habitual breaking of the precepts. If you're habitually killing, stealing, cheating, lying, taking drugs and alcohol, then you're not on a path to be reborn as a human being. That's all. If you break the precepts, you just make a determination to keep them and try and immediately focus on your practice. I mean, if anything, it's a sign that you, you should focus more on your practice because mindfulness will
0: prevent you from breaking the precepts. Meditation now relieves me of a lot, but somehow,
2: some things of the past that I forgot or never noticed suddenly come up, like something I did or said. It causes a panic. Is my mind now seeing clearly? Well, panic isn't seeing clearly,
1: um, which is really the, the the point here. And those experiences don't cause panic. So your practice will be trying to differentiate the, between the two, noting what you're actually experiencing. So when you feel panic, noting the panic. When you remember things in the past, not remembering but it's absolutely a standard par for the course experience in meditation practice. That as you start to see more clearly, and as your mind sort of settles a little more, becomes more efficient, uh, there's there's like things going on in the brain as well as it becomes more efficient, more str- more peaceful, less stressed, and so on. That there's going to be bubbles. <laughs> For lack of a better word, I mean the uh, figurative bubbles that pop, uh, things that you, str- things that are, are experiences from the past that are emotionally charged, that sort of thing.
0: Oh, just habits, our our habits will pop up. Um, so,
1: yeah, just i I can't really comment on is my mind now seeing clearly, but panic isn't
0: anything to do with seeing clearly, so just not the panic, and then you'll start to see clearly about the panic but I mean it
1: it is great to hear that meditation relieves you of a lot i mean i don't want I don't want to skip over that statement that i actually it's always great to hear such statements, not that it's a surprise, just that. It's great to hear because other people hear it as well. And the fact that someone that I don't even know is saying this that I probably maybe never met, um, it's a great thing to hear. It's a great thing to have someone else say because everyone else listening hears it and gains confidence. And it's a sign that uh, Buddhism is spreading. So it's like a seed has been sown and we,
0: we hear about it growing leaves and budding up from the ground, new growth. I found a meditation group, and the teacher
2: gave me a meditation on love and kindness. I didn't join because I
0: found it easier to meditate on breath. Am I missing out by not being connected to a sangha? Well, just asking about, just um, referencing your actual question,
1: Sangha, a a, a group of like-minded individuals can be, and and usually is a great support for practice. But it's a bit of a loaded question with all the information you've given leading up to the question, because to call something a Sangha is, is just a name. And if the people are suppose they are and this is not the case in your case, but suppose a group of people were doing bad things, were sitting around meditating on I don't know, um, taking over the gov overthrowing the government or uh killing a certain group of individuals or something you know, meditating on something bad, then the group is certainly not helpful. So my point is it's going to depend what you, what group of people, not just any group of people. And in order to properly answer your question, you have to make reference to the actual group of people. If someone, if some group of people is practicing loving kindness, well, that's a, that's a good sign. Um, it's not a great sign because, of course, loving kindness, the Buddha explicitly said multiple times that it isn't sufficient to lead to enlightenment. So it isn't. Um, the core buddhist teaching and if that is their core practice while well, they're kind of limiting themselves um, but something being easier isn't a reason to prefer it easier is not a sign of better and in fact often what is difficult and challenging is uh, of more value so the fact that you find it easier to meditate on the breath isn't a good reason to not join a group that is doing something else but loving loving kindness isn't isn't the best main practice for anyone to choose um unless they're playing the long game and going to use that eventually as a base later on for the practice of vipassana but either way I don't teach particularly either of those I don't think you're referring to our practice when you say meditate on the breath so Uh, If you're interested in what I have to say on such things, you should read our booklet, Undertake, to do the the at-home meditation course that we offer. And uh, one thing about meditation groups, just as a tangent, tomorrow marks our first uh, meeting, will be our first meeting of our new mentorship program. And mentorship just means uh, active meditators, those who have, done courses in our tradition but aren't you know sufficiently trained to teach courses um sort organizing to set up meditation groups uh, and and to help others to uh, begin the practice so offering basic instruction and in practice and uh, helping connect them with our organization helping them uh, sign up for our courses that sort of thing uh, we're going to try to provide some support for anyone interested in that. So, if you're interested, you, anyone interested, they can join our Discord uh, community and we have uh, a channel set up for that. We don't have an audio channel yet. We need an audio channel for it. But hopefully, we will by tomorrow. Oh, we do now have an audio channel for it. So, just join that uh, tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern Time if you're interested in. If you are a a person who has done a course in our tradition, not you particularly, but if anyone listening is a person who has done a course in our tradition and would like to
0: help others to experience similar positive results. Is exercise a hindrance to a proper meditation practice? i mean it really depends what you mean
1: by a proper meditation practice so technically i probably say yes but just because to be pedantic a proper meditation practice means intensive 10 12 or more hours a day where you're not doing anything but meditation practice and for that quote unquote proper meditation practice pretty much anything else is going to be a hindrance it's a distraction so maybe hindrance is too strong a word but exercise is not meditation it's not a substitute for formal meditation practice and so in that instance it's going to be a hindrance now for someone who probably what you're referring to instead is a daily medita, a proper daily meditation pra- or once a day twice a day meditation practice exercise is most likely going to have minimal to no effect on that the only effect i can think of is if you exercise um intensively you may not have enough energy left to do meditation practice but if you can find if you find that it doesn't sap your energy or take the energy away from your your formal practice you can actually be quite mindful during physical exercise of course because it's repetitive in many of the same ways if you incorporate mindfulness you can do mindful weightlifting or mindful jogging or that sort of thing so put put it this way of all the things that are a hindrance, exercise is far down the list, if if it even makes the list. But again, I- accepting where it saps your energy, where it takes too much energy, and it draws on the limited reserve of daily energy that we have, to the extent that you just aren't able to do meditation. So that shouldn't be a mystery. You'll be able to find out for yourself whether that's the case, and yeah, then you have to prioritize. And hopefully you do prioritize meditation.
0: Physical exercise isn't nearly as helpful as mental exercise. There's just no comparison. In meditating on the points around the body, when
2: should I return to the first point? How far from the meditation object do I need to drift before I shoot to go back to the first point?
1: For what you're talking about, you should practice in the order that they were given. So if you're doing a meditation course, you go according to the order, one, two, three, and so on. Right, left, right, left, so on. There's no drifting. I don't understand about drifting from how far from the meditation before I shoot to go back. I mean, you always continue on with the next point unless you can't remember which point that was, then just start from the first point.
0: You only return to the first point usually once you've finished the sequence that you've been given. Do we ever go beyond noting? Would an enlightened being keep noting?
2: I find noting very beneficial but is it a preliminary to being able to rest in pure awareness unconditionally without a mantra
1: yeah absolutely an enlightened being has no need for any sort of practice so that's your really the answer to your question once someone is enlightened then they go beyond it noting is an artifice like any meditation practice Uh, Don't think that that our quote-unquote noting is something special. Most meditation practices use some sort of mantra or some sort of artifice. It's just a mantra. There's nothing exceptional or extraordinary or strange or weird about it. It's very traditional, very, very traditional to use a word as a means of focusing your attention. Um, But that's all it is. It's just an artifice as a means of evoking states of mindfulness, which it does quite well, as, of course,
0: mantras generally do. Until you become enlightened, don't give it up.
2: I don't know if Nibbana is cessation of suffering, compassion to all beings in this life, or a pure land where sensing continues. With this confusion, why and how can I continue to pursue it?
1: well it's it's you have to be careful about wording like continue to pursue um it, it's not really wrong as a sort of overarching goal or life goal or that sort of thing or spiritual goal but it should never really be your focus because it's very future oriented right any goal put aside the word nibbana any goal that you might have is future oriented so it's not helpful not on a not on a momentary level not on a practical level. Again, it can be the kind of overarching goal, life goal that you have. But when you say continue to pursue it, you shouldn't continue to do anything except be mindful. And mindfulness shouldn't have really have any reference to any goal or any result or any benefit. Because as soon as you start referencing those, you're in the future, in the past, in, in conceptualizing of self, and I am this and I am that, none of which is any help. Try and focus on the purity of mindfulness and the goodness of it. Don't worry about the happiness, the the benefit that might come. Um, But as as far as the question about what is Nibbana, it's really the first. The other two have nothing to do with Nibbana. Though someone who has experienced Nibbana is more compassionate, for sure. Um, But a, a pure land is not a thing that can exist. Just like this land, this world, this earth doesn't exist. Those are only concepts.
0: Reality is just experience no matter where or who or what you are. When you meditate, should there be a constant effort to maintain awareness of your meditation
2: object? Or can one just let things be, even if one's degree of awareness is quite dim? I don't think it's
1: a good approach to do either, honestly. Um, if your degree of awareness is quite dim there's that's that's your description of it the question is what are you actually experiencing are you experiencing some dullness of mind are you experiencing some distraction what you should do is note those things note the hindrances that are probably the sorts of things that will prevent you from seeing clearly uh, i don't think you need any to to focus on any constant
0: sort of effort You should focus on the present moment right now, noting what you experience. What would you advise for meditation and study? After
2: much study and having a consistent meditation practice, is there any need to study? There are boundless books, which makes me feel I am unlearned.
0: Well, it's kind of an open-ended issue. No, I don't know what the right word is. It's a... Um, it, it, there's no set answer, is what I'm trying to say. That um, study can go very far. I mean, I guess there is theoretically
1: a limit, but it's not a limit that most people ever hit so you could do a lot of study and there's no there's no fault in that per se except that it should be um proportionate to your meditation practice if you're only doing a little bit of meditation practice then a lot of study is not going to be good for you that's just a good general rule of thumb as for what the proper proportion is i mean i think meditation tends to dictate that your meditation will give you a sense of of what is a good amount of study Uh, and and that being said it it need not be um, proportionate in the sense that there is very little need for any study beyond the basics so there's nothing wrong with a lot of study as long as you're doing a significant amount of meditation as well Um, but there's also nothing wrong with little to no study especially when you're doing intensive meditation practice of course provided that you have the basics down and of course um, more so if you have a teacher so even if you don't have a solid foundation in theory you can forgo any or almost any theoretical study um, and just give yourself up to the teacher
0: and ask questions as appropriate and your teacher will guide you because they have the study. When doing daily chores, is it required to come back to the stomach
2: before changing noting objects, as we do in formal meditation?
1: No, you need never go to the stomach during daily life unless it's convenient. Stomach is should have should have no sort of um exceptional place in daily practice. The best um the best thing to focus on as your base instead are the postures walking standing sitting lying so before you not necessarily before you change objects but when there isn't really anything uh, glaring or obvious to, to note then you just bring your mind back to the standing or the walking or the sitting or the lying and and even more so don't worry too much about the intricacies of everything uh, when 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 there's just too much and it's overwhelming and you're just looking for some way to stay present and mindful, I, as long as you're noting the four postures, you're doing a great thing in daily life. So rather than expecting to be able to note every little detail, which which you know over time you can note more and more. Uh, just just try at the very least to focus on the four postures
0: and the six senses: seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. If emotional hurt becomes before anger, what should be noted? I can't seem to separate the mind states of the hurt and feelings. Well, you don't have to really separate
1: them technically. Just note however it appears to you. If there's anger, note the anger. If there's hurt, you can note hurt. But hurt is anger. Emotional hurt is... Mm, i mean not not exactly if it if it's emotional hurt then you would note emotional hurt it's an aspect of an angry mind but if it presents itself as as suffer as mental suffering mental anguish then you can just note that mental pain pain even you can note pain mental pain hurt hurt or pain pain there, there
0: there's no um there's no problem with that it, it's it's not a not complicated. Just note, note whatever. Can you please expand on the difference between and desire for enlightenment? Well, the problem with the word desire is, is um, we use it loosely to refer to inclination, uh, intention, that
1: sort of thing. So a person can appear to desire enlightenment when there's no desire arising in the mind. Tanna is a um, well; it's another name of, a, of an actual
0: state of mind that arises. Um, lobha is the loba is the,
1: the It's a quality of mind so there is a desire an actual liking not desire in fact just a liking of some experience some experience arises and then there's a liking of it that's technically what happens so in fact so in fact wanting isn't technically wanting because you don't ever want something even though it appears like that what we, we call wanting is really actually just thoughts that arise but they arise based on liking. How? What happens is you think of something that you quote-unquote want, and that thought arises, that concept arises, and there's a liking of it. That's the actual reality of what happens. Based on that liking, there arises the thought, I should get that, and then there arises the intention, the inclination, the mental volition to, to attain and achieve what you want. And ultimately, physical manifestations of actually physically chasing after it or or saying things to get what you want that sort of thing um so desire we use the word but it's not technically what happens and and quote unquote desire for enlightenment often isn't desire at all it's based on wisdom it's based on practicality like what's what's reasonable it's just reasonable to work towards enlightenment it's unreasonable not to it's unreasonable to seek out happiness from sensual pleasure that sort of thing it's just uh ignorant so through increased clarity there there is an increased inclination towards enlightenment and there's no liking it's not like an experience a, a thought of enlightenment arises and liking you, there's a liking yeah that's what i want now that can arise of course uh, usually, when there's a, a an ego involved, like I, who I am, I don't like who I am, and you think of yourself as being an enlightened being. Maybe you think of yourself teaching others. You think of yourself walking down the street and everybody praising you and saying, "Oh, that person! Wow, that person is so enlightened!" Right? All of that can 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 take part, and and then of course there is a liking of those thoughts and those
0: um, imag, those fantasies, and so on. When I close my eyes and meditate,
2: and I reach the state where I visualize the space, I start to focus on my eyes. I move my eyes, and this keeps changing the structure of the space. How do I prevent this? Yeah, I'm going to say you're not practicing
1: anything like the teaching that we offer. So if you want qu- answers to my question, no, if you want answers, if you want my answers to your questions, Um, you're going to have to learn about the sort of thing that I teach, mindfulness. You can read our booklet on how to meditate
0: and maybe do our at-home course if you really want to get into it. But uh, basically, to give you a, a peek, when you see something, you would note seeing, seeing. And that would be it. Should I meditate for one
2: hour and sleep for seven and a half hours or meditate for two hours and sleep for six and a half hours? So meditation isn't hours,
1: it's moments. And I, I, I sort of hesitate to commit to answering your question without you understanding that hours aren't really the most important thing for you to concern yourself about now generally speaking two hours of meditation and six and a half hours of sleep is going to be better of course i mean why would i answer otherwise um see i don't have a sense we don't have a sense that seven and a half hours is necessary so if that's kind of where your question comes from our understanding is if you're mindful six and a half hours even six hours is more is plenty but that being said two hours of meditation isn't actually a thing now if you're mindful every moment for 2 hours that could be a thing but it's a very rare thing. So you have to ask yourself how mindful you are, how proficient you are in the practice of mindfulness. 2 hours of mindless sitting sleeping or 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 thinking or imagining fantasizing or or 2 hours of practicing samatha meditation I mean isn't well 2 hours of samatha meditation would be probably sufficient to help you sleep less but isn't technically progress towards enlightenment not not directly so if you you have to more ask how productive you are in meditation and if you're really and truly able to do two hours where you're reasonably mindful then absolutely you shouldn't need more than six hours of sleep
0: I mean, depending on what else you're doing during
1: the day, if you have intense physical activity or exercise or that sort of thing, or intense mental work, if you work a long job that is draining
0: mentally, then yeah, maybe. When you note an object of experience
2: during meditation, are you supposed to conceptualize and understand that object? For example, that your feeling is anger, doubt, etc.? Or can you simply note feeling? Feeling isn't
1: very useful if it's anger or doubt. And there's no conceptualization there. It's just a recognition. Anger is anger. Doubt is doubt. Feeling is just kind of lazy. The only time I would recommend using feeling is if it's a physical sensation. They're often hard to label anyway, but physical sensation should be noted as feeling. If you feel angry, that's angry. Doubt, doubt,
0: etc. But there's no conceptualization involved. That is what it is. Putting the question to the limit, theoretically, if someone read your
2: booklet, watched all your teachings and practiced diligently, could they achieve enlightenment, or would they need to study more? any
1: question like this about someone becoming enlightened absolutely always without fail depends on the individual of course people are not homogenous so is it technically possible that some some hypothetical person could yes depending on what they were like but depending on their state of of mental development um so the, the teaching of mindfulness is enough. The teachings, let's say in my booklet as an example, are enough to be for someone to become enlightened. But it's going to depend on the individual whether it's truly practically sufficient, right? Because it being enough doesn't mean that the person is going to stick with it until they realize the, the results. So, I mean, that's really basically it. Are they going to stick with it? Are they going to understand it properly? Are they going to implement it properly?
0: Are they going to implement it sufficiently and not just do 10 minutes a day or something?
1: And and are they sufficiently developed from past lives even to
0: the point where they're able to do all these things? What is the method to go from the fourth jhana to the formless jhanas? Yeah, I'm not. You can look it up. I don't teach such things, so
1: I'm not not saying they're 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 good things, but they're not what I teach. So I'm, I'm I'm I just don't want to divert our time to
0: that. I'm sorry. I could answer it if you, but you can also look it up not what we teach that's the point does intellect help with becoming enlightened I've heard stories of the Buddha or his disciples being incredibly intelligent no no it doesn't Uh, could it
1: Um, technically I suppose for some people but it's going to be much more a matter of of um, their being able to utilize the intellect because of other qualities that they have um see the problem with intellect is it can just as easily be a hindrance through ego but also through doubt and mental distraction um one thing that that is exceptional about a lot of the buddhist disciples and really many people who become enlightened is their sharp the sharpness of mind the quickness of mind so quickness of mind is a all good sign it's a sign that the person has done something good in the past it's not sufficient but it generally is associated with good qualities right? Of course, if someone has a very muddled mind, well, it's a bad sign. It's a sign that they've done things that are going to make their meditation harder. But it's usually the associated unwholesomeness. Uh, Intellect is tangentially related to that quickness of mind. I mean, I guess it depends what you mean by intellect. And in some ways, yes, it's related very closely to the sharpness of mind. And so it's a good sign. And it's a, it's a, it's that sharpness that, well, really the clarity that comes with it, and the ability to appreciate cause and effect. That's going to allow them to take up and and see the truth of the practice. But that being said, it's not really the only, or even some people who are even fairly dull intellect intellectually um, can often have very relatively um, superior results to those who are intellectually inclined because as i said it can be a great hindrance just as often and perhaps even
0: more often intellect is a hindrance something that you have to to some extent let go of is mindfulness the same as alertness or the same as memory sati It's the same quality of mind, but it's more just the clarity of mind that allows you to see clearly, and that's useful for remembering things from the past as well. Mindfulness is is the grasping of an object as it is. Is substituting sleep for meditation for about a week optimal? I'm not sure which way you're substituting. You mean
1: instead of meditating, sleeping, or instead of sleeping, meditating? I assume you mean instead of sleeping, meditating. Uh, the only way I would recommend such a thing is if you were already an advanced meditator who could actually do that. Uh, sounds like you might be. Um, is it optimal? I mean, It depends on the
0: individual. Generally, I would say stick to what your teacher encourages you to do. I care a lot of what people think about me. Should I completely
2: ignore what others think about me, or is there a right amount of care I should have when it comes to what others think of me?
1: no there's no you in the first place and no you should never care about what other people think of you the only kind of tendent, tangentially related issue is um proper behavior you should be considerate of others so for example if you have strong body odor you should i mean just a silly example you should probably bathe out of consideration for others even though i mean technically it's their problem that they don't like the smell it's still inconsiderate and of course there's much better examples much more subtle examples um you should be considerate of other's feelings and the things you say so being considerate i guess is probably the closest that comes to caring what other think but that's not what they think about you absolutely what people think about you is meaningless and and should be discarded you entirely has to eventually be discarded so there is no you for you to worry what people think about Um, and the people of course of course don't exist either in an ultimate sense there's just the experiences so i don't think you should ever completely ignore anything but you shouldn't certainly shouldn't react you should I like everything else, be
0: mindful of what people think of you. Um. Yeah, analysis is a
1: bit misleading. It's not a terrible translation, but it's hard to translate that word. It's really just the... Uh, ability of the mind to differentiate and to see the true nature of, to understand its wisdom—it's the wisdom that arises from mindfulness. As you're mindful, you see clearly. That's about it. Uh, you don't don't read too deep into it, or else it becomes an intellectual exercise. How should you? Uh, the only "how should you?" you should be worried about is how should I be mindful? Because if you're mindful, Vichaya arises mindfulness is the of the seven bojangas
0: mindfulness is the one you use to activate and balance the other six how can we engage in right view are brahma vihara's important you don't I mean, engage probably isn't the right word for to use for right view.
1: You should cultivate right view, uh, straighten your view. Uh, and mindfulness is the best way. There's no avoiding, as usual, that the best advice is to just undertake the practice of mindfulness. You can read our booklet, do an, an at-home meditation course, and that's really one way of describing what we're aiming for in in this practice is the, the cultivation and attainment of right view are the brahma viharas important um i guess important is probably about the best word you could use they're important they're not necessary so they I, I think it's it's valid to say they're important i don't think they should be trivialized or or say they shouldn't be called optional they are technically optional but they're an important optional component there's something you should think about and should consider as being <clears throat> potentially uh, well, impo- potentially important. I guess potentially important might be the best qualifier because for some, they're going to be more important than others. But they're not necessary. They should not be considered to be sufficient. They're not necessary or sufficient. Or core. You should never take them as your core practice. Again, unless you're using it as a preliminary practice to eventually use as a stepping stone to cultivate vipassana otherwise you just use them as an
0: auxiliary um occasional meditation practice because of buddhism i have become social. could you advise how to start a
2: meditation group should we just meditate vipassana metta and or guided study the sutras do we need a qualified monk? All
1: good questions. And I would ask you, please, uh, come tomorrow morning at 8 AM Eastern time to our meeting, if you're able. Um, otherwise, you know, keep up with the meeting or keep up with that group. And you can ask these sorts of questions in the mentor program channel on our Discord server, uh, because this is the sort of thing we want to talk about how to start meditation groups how to not not just meditation groups but that'll be hopefully a a big part of it but also just generally to how to effectively fulfill people other people's interest in the practice if others are interested and come to you and are interested how can i help them what's the best way and what are the
0: ways that i should um focus on doing so okay i have to go because as usual
1: we have local meditators so i'm going to ask that we end it there thank you all for your questions thank you chris and jim for your help Uh, and wish everyone a good week and please if you're interested in these sorts of things come tomorrow to our meeting 8 a.m eastern on our
0: discord server and we'll try and uh, brainstorm any and all ways we can work
1: together to expand this the reach
0: of this very beneficial and essential component of human life so have a good week everyone thank you Sadhu. Uh-huh.